When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, we're hacking OVC terminals, fighting the process, and picking up some functions. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of some of our favorite video games. I'm Caleb. And I'm Bavia. And today, we're talking about one of my favorite games of all time, Transistor. It's difficult for me to talk about this game in a neutral way, because, um, like, to me, every element of it is a home run. (laughs) Wonderful art style, wonderful soundtrack, wonderful everything. But the story is, um, to me, a standout part of it because it's it's intentionally left very vague and open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the parts that are there are like very thought-provoking and very powerful. Yeah, it was incredibly thought-provoking the first time I played it. I loved the Cyber Nouveau aesthetic. It gave absolutely everything. It felt like I was going through a painting as well as hacking the Matrix at the same time. I really liked the city of Cloudbank itself and just the setting that all of the events of this occurs. There will be major spoilers, so hey, take this as your warning. But Cloudbank as a city is just phenomenal. Like, Tell me a little bit about it. So Cloudbank as a concept is built on this idea of perfect creativity and constant adjustment to the whims and values of the people. So when the population decides we want to build the new bridge or a new metro station to connect the districts we love, then that gets voted on and it gets made to happen. When they say we want to build a new statue in the park, it gets voted on and made to happen. And so the whole process of that just um, goes through and it turns the city into this ever-changing form and just this constant, almost a tool of perfect creativity. And that's ultimately what a lot of the philosophy ends up falling behind, because the um, villains are a group known as the Camerata. Yeah, the city of Cloudbank is really cool, and I do want to talk about it a little bit before talking about the Camerata. It is pretty progressive socially as women hold positions of power, and it's this idea of turning an entire city into a painting in which you can always paint and repaint over different parts of the city that you like and dislike. And that also means that whatever changes that are proposed, like if you want to build a bridge or or if you want to build a statue, then those are immediately voted on. And everyone can vote on them by ways of these things called OVC terminals or open voice channel terminals. And because everyone can vote on them and it takes this like split second decisions to be like, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, and we want to hear your voice, it turns Cloudbank into this very idealized form of social democracy, which we're going to talk about a little later. But it ties into the fact that the camarada or these group of people who are opposed to such things um, 
it gives rise to this idea that, well, if everything's changing all the time, then the individual decisions that we make, that the people make on what's best for CloudBank, don't have any meaning anymore. And that's what gives rise to the Camerata's creed that when everything changes, nothing changes and nothing in the city has meaning anymore. And it gives rise to a really important question. Is this critique valid? And does this limit creativity or permit it? To me, I think the Camerata, I mean, there's a reason they're the villain of the story. But to me, I think the Camerata are demonstrably wrong, both in the way they express their ideal, the way they interpret it, and the way they interpret their own application of it, if that makes sense. And I think the biggest thing on that is no aspect of what they were afraid of with this perfect creativity couldn't have been fixed if they had simply chosen to set aside a district that did not change as quickly or where the OVC terminals functioned in a different way. There's no reason CloudBank couldn't have done that, and there's no reason that they as a group of individuals couldn't have arranged that. All four members of the Camerata were prominent members of society, upper-class members of society, with easily enough influence that they could have said, let's take a district and make it what we want it to be, and then leave it. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that there is value in limitations, but I think the value of those limitations is when they become, to a degree, self-imposed. You look at creativity tools like um, Minecraft or Gary's Mod, the cultures that develop in those types of games and systems are largely defined by the user, what rules they do and don't want to follow, what moderation they do and don't want to implement. But it's all decided by the community. I think that the Camerata's philosophy, it has this sort of two-pronged attack to it. One is if their stance that if it has meaning or not, and then one is if it limits creativity or not. And to tackle the first concept of the Camerata's philosophy on if it has meaning, or rather it doesn't have meaning, that's something I completely disagree with. And I think a good example of that is the idea of city culture. So I live in Seattle, hi, (laughs) and a big part of Seattle is in fact the city culture and the way its citizens really interact with it. I feel like when people think of Seattle, they think of lots of rain, they think of coffee, they think of, you know, a lot of seafood because it's a port town. And while this vibe that forms out of these things, it really does mean a lot to its inhabitants. And it's very likely that the citizens of CloudBank felt responsible for their city's appearance and layout as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be voting on these sort of things. Really, to add on to that, there were many who wanted to give the citizens inspiration and a voice. We talk about people who wanted to participate in political discourse, like Wave Tenigan. We Think about people who wanted to give the citizens a voice in Lillian Voss and her creation of the OVC terminals and so on. Additionally, I think it's evident that in terms of art or fashion or artistry or however you want to go about looking at it, it does in fact come in phases. That does exist. We see that here in Earth in 2019. I think that there's been this rise of 80s themes in music, right? There's been a rise of early 2000s and 90s fashion trends coming back. And well, I do agree that these things do happen in cycles, but progress is always still being made, which is why I'm on the fence of this thing. And I'm on the fence about the Camerata's philosophy. And ultimately, it does come down to how the Camerata go about handling these things and their process. And well, funny I mentioned process because it's 
absolutely terrible the way they go about handling things. I And yeah, I agree. Like, the Camerata fails in several respects, and I do think, like, and we can talk a little bit about the our differing opinions on their philosophies. I think ultimately, like we've said, even if you're torn, I'm not. I'm not a fan. <laughs> um, but um, then look at the implementations in which they go about it, and the ways in which they failed to hold themselves accountable to being able to actually follow through on what they claimed. What it comes down to is they're not they're not a group that wanted what's best for the city. They're a group that sought power and used their philosophy as a form of moralizing. Yeah. Even though I'm split on the Camerata's philosophy on if I agree with it or if I don't, it still stands that I'm absolutely against the ways they go about doing this. I'm not a Camerata apologist, I promise. <laughs> and, you know, I can't help thinking about sort of the power dynamic. And you have, obviously, these people who are targeted to be absorbed or silenced particularly those with creative minds, you know, people who swayed others through inspiration, whether it be through music or social change or broadcasting or stunts. And throughout the Camerata's mission, they were successful in many, save one. How did the power dynamic of CloudBank change over time? And if we were the Camerata, how would we do things differently? And this is the part where I go a little bit more into um, where I think the Camerata's most telling shortcoming is. They were trying to f- turn the city from being an what was essentially an imperfect democracy to a perfect oligarchy, if that makes sense. Interesting. A democracy that shifted at the whims of the people based on the popularity and not the constructiveness and helpfulness of the decisions they made and trying to fight that stagnation. And the way they tried to fight it is by designing the city permanently using only the minds of a few individuals that they considered great. Mm -hmm. But I think what was telling in their failure of the um, oligarchy and their attempt to transfer power is the fact that they killed most of the people that they attempted to absorb because they might be, while alive, they could have been helpful in a lot of these cultural changes. They also would have been a threat to their power. To the selection method of a lot of these people was odd, complex, and a little bit flawed. They even went after Lillian Voss, who didn't serve their purpose in any direct way, just knew their um, plans and, as it was described, saw their movements. In general, the fact that they were the ones who they were deciding are the people good enough to decide power. It was... They were trying to create a perfect, what they saw as a perfect oligarchy, but they intentionally failed to hold themselves up to that same standard, and as a result, that ended up becoming their downfall. Their goals weren't measured by the people. It's interesting that you mention it being a cultural oligarchy. I'd, I'd have to almost agree with you, if not for the people that they targeted, because the people that they targeted, you know, you have these incredibly talented members of society that a lot of people hold as role models. And I can't help but think that for them being chosen and having their, even though their talents to paint the city, having that present almost as an element of like meritocracy into the mix. And I can't help but think that you said earlier that it was a imperfect democracy. And I would say it was actually a perfectly open democracy. So it's interesting that we differ on that. Um, I agree with you in the sense of it being a perfect democracy. I think the Camerata viewed it as an imperfect democracy. They they saw 
what they thought was an imperfect democracy and tried to replace it with what they saw as a perfect oligarchy. Yeah, that's definitely true. Going back to the topic of why the Camerata targeted these specific people in particular, they did want to up the creative power and control over who said what and by having them in the transistor. If we go back to the topic of if the Camerata are villains, I mean, I don't know, but the methods that they used were incredibly villainous. It's interesting how the solution to these very influential people that the Camerata deemed as threats was, in fact, to silence them and only use their talents instead of having them join the Camerata themselves. And there are, I definitely think there are better ways to handle this situation rather than sending people to the country. And I'm curious why the Camerata didn't have these very creative people on the Camerata board with them and function as a de facto cultural board and sort of deeming what was right and deeming what was wrong in line with their philosophy. And even another way to handle it would be, well, why not simply take their trace without killing them? We saw that that's possible. I don't understand why that wasn't a possible solution. It's almost like they thought (laughs) that if they made their goals public, the public wouldn't want to give them power. (laughs) Like, well, you got me there. So that's the thing. It's like, oh, you have to trust me. What I'm doing is for your own good. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's for your own good. Like, and I think even the fact that the Camerata was just a secret organization, like, is telling that they knew their motivations weren't going to actually help the people who they tried to help. Interesting. And that's the thing. Like, we could interpret this as a way of... Oh, you know, these are just the riffraff, the people who don't understand what we have to do. Like, then it turns into an intellectual oligarchy. Like, there's no version of this that doesn't result in a version of the camarada that I would give a middle finger to. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know what? Fair enough. I can definitely agree with that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) as soon as the city did go to the process anyway, I guess that's a metaphor for like anarchy. So like nobody's in control, right? So I mean it's all mm-hmm. it's all gone to hell. Why even worry about it anymore? Talking about the process, actually, I find the design and sort of the focus of the process incredibly interesting. They were robots initially designed to address Cloudbank's growing need for constant change, and they were the things responsible for carrying out the voted decisions. When their control system in the transistor was lifted, they did begin sort of processifying the city, which was my favorite progression of how those events could have gone. And I couldn't help but think, do you think that the process's actions sort of without this control scheme, were they indicative of their own choices, identity, agency, and culture? Like, could could this brainless AI even have any of those things? I mean, I think this is the default cyberpunk question that every cyberpunk game tries to deal with in some form. And there's there's a lot to unpack in that question alone. Where do you define sentience and culture when it comes to, like, you could almost call the process a species. Um, my personal perspective and the interpretation I always had on them is less that they were necessarily any type of sentient society that was working against you, more that they were a pack or a force of nature, similar to a collection of plants or fungi. I actually think a fungi comparison might actually be incredibly accurate. 
Like, they were originally designed to break down and rebuild the city constantly. But when they started not being given directions of what to rebuild, then they started basically breaking down. And I think that's a lot of what the loss of control turned the process into the sort of technological fungus. There was one last thing that I really thought was interesting, and that is Royce's mention of the addition of safety limiters to the process. And he says that he adds these limiters to the process to keep them in line, which implies that when Red, you, the player, activate a limiter, you're not putting a restriction on yourself, but more removing a limitation from the process that had already been in place. And because the transistor is the process's very control mechanism, it could very well be the case. And I think it also gives rise to a discussion of, wait a second, can the process evolve? And can the process have their own defense mechanisms? And my mind immediately does go back to the Sybil fight, where I'm not sure if I'm fighting a human, a process, or something in between. Hmm. I think there's also something to be said about the fact that most of the limiters affect the process of cell drops, which could actually go back to being a discussion of the process as a society or almost as an artificial organism in some form, because one of the difficult things to prevent when you turn, when you turn all of those limiters on is the process multiplying itself while you're trying to kill them. Every time you drop them, it turns into two or three fairly well-protected cells and or hostile cells that desperately try to defend themselves. If you do things incorrectly, you're fighting a room of twice as many bad guys as you originally walked in on. Kind of related to that, though, if we're considering the trace datas of the characters inside the transistor, if we consider the the man inside the transistor himself, um, sub, uh, subject not found, unknown, the man, the boxer, whatever you want to call him, Red's Bay. Um, Accurate. The, if we consider him a character just as alive as any other character in the plot, then we are going into this with the assumption that AI allows for some form of sentience, in which case, why are we not giving this to the transistor? I can't help but think that, no, it's not indicative of such things at all. And the thing that I always keep coming back to is Royce asking Red not to blame the process but to blame the camarada for the atrocities. And also Grant and Asher saying, hey, we the camarada are responsible for all of these things, not the process themselves. After all, the process were only doing a job they were told, and only when their control scheme was lost, there was no way to turn it off. I think it's interesting that in the notes about the process, they mentioned the mimicry of existing things such as young ladies taking on a traditionally female form, or the idea of man, these creatures that represented men, and then, of course, the process fetch, which represented dogs. And those could be done in terms of mimicry the same way that AI in Earth 2019 have looked to mimic the environment when given no input. After all, it's only natural for creatures or machines to look around in their environment and mimic what they know and whatever input they themselves can be given. At the same time, I feel like it could be indicative of such things. You go back to the young lady journal entry and you go back to the man journal entry and they mention that Royce, the person who's taking these notes, doesn't know what's going on with the process and why they're taking on specific forms. Do they intend on replacing us? 
by us, they mean the people, the citizens of Cloud Bank and so on, which I found deeply startling because I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, there's no way that these robots could even intend on doing such things. Why are they going about doing this? Is their idea of what processifying a city is? Does that mean they intend on having their own vision of what they want it to be? Which mm-hmm. I find incredibly interesting. Yeah. And I think the aspect of this that we have to consider when we confront all of these questions is that, to reiterate, Transistor is a game that says very little outright. And even the plot details that we're discussing ourselves are things that are largely based off of common interpretation and hidden and implied in-game documents. So at the same time, literally every one of these questions is open to interpretation from many different angles, depending on how you interpret different forms of information, and depending on your different philosophical views according to those things. Which I think is part of, just to kind of briefly wrap us up, is a big part of what makes Transistor as interesting and as powerful of a story as it is. Definitely. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. And be sure to check out loreparty.com for our archive of previous episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.